Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Cassell, and with me today is actually more than one person. This is our uh, annual Syracuse Men's Basketball Preview episode. With me today, we have Dan Lyons, James Zuba, and Bobby Manning, all from NoonsMagician.com. We'll be talking about everything um, SU basketball. I know a lot of people are looking to turn the page, so... Uh, we're going to kind of help you do that a little bit while we continue to, to wallow in, in football um, on the other side of this podcast, I guess. Uh, Dan and I will be um, airing our a football-specific episode later this week, too. Uh, but definitely wanted to make sure basketball got it to do uh, with its own preview episode as, uh, as per usual. So uh, I guess starting with you, James, how are we doing today? We're doing well. Uh, Syracuse is back to being a basketball school, at least for the time being. Uh, after another travel yeah, on Saturday for football. So, yeah, I think people are excited to, to turn the page. And, you know, first exhibition is underway. And I think people are excited for the basketball season. Bobby, you're somebody who's giving football a shot this fall after last year's excitement. How disappointed are you right now? <laughs> well, I looked in one of the posts that went up before the game the other day. Someone holding out hope on the football team. I was done after last week. I went to the game against Pitt, and it, that just sucked my soul out watching that offensive line for another week. So I opted out of Florida State. I am on to basketball, and I think everybody's going to be with me after the game yesterday just looking at the score. Dan, I'll ask you about basketball since you and I have plenty of football to talk about this week. Do we have to? Uh, I mean, at least a little bit. <laughs> we'll just end up no, we'll just talk. The thing is, Tulane lost this week, so we can't even like, like have like a fun thing about that. They lost two weeks in a row. They're really, you know, they're not coming. They're not. They're not coming uh, up for us big when we need it the most. So that's it has also been disappointing. But I'm, I'm sure we can. I, I guess we'll dive in on that later this week. Agreed, agreed. And by later this week, um, we're going to the <laughs> in about 45 minutes. <laughs> indeed, indeed. We're, we're pulling double duty tonight on a Sunday for everybody. Uh, but why don't we get started uh, with the Syracuse men's basketball team. Uh, for everyone that's unaware for some reason, um, Jim Beheim enters his 44th season at the helm. Um, SU is once again in this weird kind of limbo stage uh post sanctions where we're not bad but we probably aren't a you know top four team in the acc um we're going to get into all of that and kind of what that means for fans but uh why don't we start off with the guards on this team uh james uh give you some time to kind of break down you know who the key players are any surprising things that may happen um anybody that's really caught your eye um, you know, between, you know, the end of last season and Italy and now the one exhibition game that we witnessed so far. Yeah, well, well, we wouldn't be right if we didn't say that Syracuse would be without Frank Howard and Tyus Battle this year because uh, I think that's a required line for everybody at this point, it seems. But, uh, yeah, you know, moving to this season, uh, holistically looking at the guard spot, uh, you know, you got two, really two freshmen and three sophomores uh, with Howard Washington and Richard, Richard sophomore at this point. But, um, you know, you bring in Bryson Goodine and you bring in Joe Girard and you have Jalen Carey and Buddy Bayheim as sophomores now. So uh, it's it's a young backcourt. It's a relatively inexperienced backcourt when you look at it. Um, you know, Jalen obviously was that first guard off the bench last year um, as the point and Buddy struggled early on and they, they sort of swapped roles. So, you know, in the second half of the season, we saw Buddy really find his groove and he stepped up and, and Jalen sort of struggled as the season went on. 
But, um, you know, those two guys at one point or another, they both got important minutes and they both saw big, you know, um, big, big moments in games. So that, that should help them this year. And then when you look at you look at Bryson Goodine and, and you look at Joe Girard, Bryson's kind of very versatile. There's a lot of things he could do well on the court. Um, you know, we can get into the exhibition a little bit. You know, he turned the ball over a little bit. But, um, you know, he's he can do a lot of things with the basketball uh, can take it off the bounce, can finish at the rim. He can shoot it a little bit better than what he's what he's been given credit for. And certainly, certainly Joe Girard, everybody's familiar with, scored over four thousand points in high school. Uh, elite shooter. Uh, he's probably a little bit better with the ball than what people think he is. But you know, as in the loaded backcourt, it's it's kind of unclear if he's going to get minutes. You have four guys that are really capable of playing, and as we know, Bayheim really only goes with three guards for the most part. So so it'll be interesting to see how that works out, but. Um, you know, the good news is for Syracuse is a couple of those guys should emerge and, uh, you know, that could change on a, on a game-to-game basis who's who's playing well or, um, you know, ba- based on skill set or based on how the game's going, that could interchange a little bit. Fair. Um, so I guess following up on a little bit of that, all of these guards are, are mostly known for, you know, being proficient with the ball in their hands. Um, is there anybody that we should keep an eye on off ball? Um, is there any is there any key distributor here? Uh, I know Jalen Carey is the likely is the most likely distributor um, at this time, but, but it, is there anyone beyond him um, who you could see um, kind of factoring in there? Not necessarily, you know, always shooting the basketball. Yeah, well, I, I think Jalen will start as the, the starting point guard, and, and that's what he's going to have to do this year. Uh, he's going to have to run the offense. He's going to have to get other guys involved. Uh, we know he likes to push the pace. He likes to get it. He likes to you know, push it down the court, get up and down, and then he's going to have to find guys in transition. And then in the half court as well, he's going to be running the offense. So uh, we saw him, you know, go out and get his own offense a little bit last year looking for a shot. I think he's going to have to find guys a little bit more this year. And he can do that based on who he has around him. I mean, there's a lot of shooters on the team this year, so that could that could really be a tailwind for him because he's not such a great shooter from three-point land. So what he does is get into the paint. He can mix it up. If he's if the shot's not there, he can he can look out to the perimeter. Um, but behind him, I really look for Bryson Goodin to be that backup point guard, and I think he could he can facilitate the ball pretty well too. Um, there's there's a lot of things that he can do well. Uh, he could take it all. Like I said, he could take it off the bounce. He could finish, but he's a willing passer as well. So I, I think primarily those two guys. Um, certainly Jalen at the starting point guard. And, you know, Buddy can take it off the bounce. He can find guys a little bit, but he's going to be hunting his own shot. And then Gerard, it's, it's to be determined on how he adjusts to the ACC. But I think in the minutes that he does get, he's going to have to be more of a catch-and-shoot guy in year one. Um, you know, very, very competitive guy. He had the ball in his hands a lot in high school. But I think at this level, at least in year one, he's going to have to do more catch-and-shoot than take it off the bounce. Yeah, I, I could definitely see him as a, uh, as a UVA-type guy um in, in in some bizarro reality that we don't currently live in thankfully uh bobby who what's your uh what, what do you think is your surprising um kind of storyline for the guards like james obviously gave us a really good rundown is there anything that like we might not have top of line right now that that you could see potentially happening with this group 
Well, I'll I'll say the intersection with the forward position is going to be interesting because even last night we saw Elijah Hughes on the ball quite a bit making plays for them. And that's going to put Hughes in the best position to score the most points he possibly can for the team, for them to maximize who they are. You want your best player with the ball in his hands. And he's shown, you know, quite a bit of poise throwing it out to those other guys to get shots for them too. You can effectively, as uh, Kevin has said, put five guys on the floor who can shoot when that's his responsibility. And it's tough for Kerry because across the board on this team, at the guard position, at the forward position, you can have three guys wide who are shooting threes on this team and being effective off the ball. I just don't see Kerry being able to do that. He hit a three last night on the ball, but overall he has just had a terrible job adjusting to college shooting from the three-point line and he's really alone on the team in that aspect everybody on this team for the most part besides the centers is able to space things out so I'm very interested to see what the share of ball time is for those two on the floor does Hughes quickly get on that early in games taking carry off the floor right away I think the biggest question there is going to be whether Carrie's turning the ball over a lot or not and last night he ran into trouble with that again three turnovers to one assist Definitely something to watch there. I think, you know, I know Bayheim sometimes is a short leash with uh, with point guards, but I, I guess given the circumstances, maybe he has to, to, to lengthen that a little bit. Um, Dan, how much is Buddy Bayheim going to annoy the rest of the ACC this year, or are we still looking at another season before we get to that level of, uh, of perturbed? He's really good. Oh, uh, I mean, did it not start last year? Uh, I thought like during the, the ACC run that he went on uh, kind of I'd say maybe a month into ACC play when he started hitting about, what, 42, 43% of his threes, uh, that would get there, especially like coming in that ACC tournament where he was so valuable for us. Um, no, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty undoubtable that whether it's this year or next year, uh, Buddy will become like a, a you know, anti-hero uh, for us. I mean, I, I don't think Buddy really has any of those like, Grayson Allen type quality that we've seen. Thank God he just kind of plays his game and is, is a you know lights out shooter and looks great. But he's Jim's son, and uh, Jim I don't think is the most popular uh, coach among like average fans uh, for you know myriad reasons. Uh, so yeah, I mean undoubtedly the, the first time he drops like 25 on on uh, Louisville or UNC or something like if he shows like any type of emotion, he's going to get killed for it. Um, so I'm not really sure. I, I almost think like Joe Girard is like the more uh, just from like the little I've seen from like his high school taste, like he's the more brash personality and like the more likely to do that. But Buddy um, has a last name and, and it's going to be hard for him to avoid uh, catching on that, uh, that reputation. It's a fair point. Uh, Bobby, back to you. I uh, want to talk a little bit about the forwards. Um, obviously, there's a lot of players here. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of change here. Uh, and just give us a rundown of, you know, the guys you expect to see the most minutes um, and then the other guys who you expect to kind of fill out the rest of this rotation for Jim Beheim's squad. Yeah, Hughes is probably going to be logging whole games for the most part with him being so important to that back defensive line as he is. Honestly, one of the better weak side defenders I've seen in the zone, especially at his size. I've never really seen a guy at his size blocking shots the way he does down there. His defensive impact is almost underrated in terms of what he's going to be bringing to the team this year. That whole back line is honestly looking pretty experienced across the board from a defensive standpoint. And the biggest question among this group 
that seems to be settled out at this point is whether Quincy Garrier or Marek Dolajai is going to be getting that power forward spot. It looks pretty firmly in Garrier's hands at this point. It looks like his combination of rebounding. He was standing out at the three-point line for most of last night, so he can obviously be trusted upon to shoot the ball. Is going to be overruling Marek's passing and you know, facilitation skills that are across the board there. It's interesting. Those two guys bring very different things to the table there. I think the defining difference right now for Garrier, unfortunately for Marek, is that he's a lot more aggressive in finding his shot, getting to the rim. You know, there's a guy that me and James both picked over on our podcast to be the second leading scorer on the team this year. And Marek has honestly just been like a three or four point per game guy for his whole college tenure. And that's going to be a huge question for this team this year because Marek is, he's like, he's a game breaker. He's out there taking charges. He's making key passes. We all remember two years ago when he was like a cog in that starting lineup and scoring double figures through the ACC tournament into the NCAA tournament. That was a defining difference maker on the team back then. And whether it's Gary or him, they're going to need someone in that third, fourth scoring role you know, making that kind of impact. The good thing for Marek, though, is that on this team, there tends to be a lot of foul trouble at center. So he's probably going to figure into that conversation more so than at the power forward one. That's fair. Yeah, I, I definitely expect to see this team go a little bit smaller. I know much to the, uh, you know, happiness of, I think, most of the staff, Kevin especially, uh, who's kind of been, uh, you know, describing a uh, a Warriors East mentality to this this squad for a few years now when we finally might have the team to do it. Um Bobby, who do you think gets the most minutes uh, at center? Do you think it's it's automatically Barama Sidibe until we uh, until we see foul trouble or an injury, or do you think that somebody else might be able to to jump in there? Maybe even you know someone like Braswell if we want to play small, like very small. He, he's he's rock solid in there. He's a great defender. That's who he came to Syracuse at. Is this overwhelmingly impactful shot blocker? My big question for him, and this is a question I really have for this team across the board after last night, is the free throw shooting. He is just horrendous at the line, and he gets there quite a bit. He was there for four shots last night. He can be a guy who has like six to eight free throw shots a night, the way he rebounds and just bangs around inside. And if you're bleeding like four or five points a game there, that is that that can make a difference in games. So my my biggest question with him, not so much injuries anymore, it's that free throw shooting. I trust him to be an effective pick-and-roll player. He set some great screens last night to free some guys for three, and he's obviously much better with his hands than Pascal was. Fouls, free-throw shooting are the big ones with him. He only had one foul last night in 21 minutes, which was good. I, I love what he brings to the table if he's healthy, and he looks that way so far through the Italy games last night. That free-throw shooting is just tough to get by. His form is horrible. Yeah, I mean, for for the, for the longer time fans, uh, you know, I, I think bad free throw shooting at the five has been a hallmark uh, at, at SU, along with other schools, but I think SU in particular, uh, bad free throw shooting just kind of been a thing until like the last, I think, few years um, as the teams conceivably like brought in some better shooters uh, across the board. Uh, James, we noticed a little bit of, I mean, I, I've only seen like one or two places that really have listed him. Uh, it seems like Gary A is already getting some potential NBA draft hype. Do you think that's a little overblown uh, considering we haven't really seen him in an NCAA like regular season game yet? Or do you think that, that on potential based on body size alone, um, a, he is one, he is a potential NBA draft pick. And then B, if so, why wasn't he 
um, you know, higher rated as a recruit. Not that he wasn't highly rated, but wasn't like, you know, more of a, an, an elite, elite uh, player, uh, given what people already seem to be um, like wise to. Right. I think it's somewhere in the middle, to, to be honest. I mean, th- this early, yes. Uh, we, we haven't really seen him play much right now. Uh, you know, he, he came in on, on Jeff Goodman's board, uh, you know, late first round pick, but you know, we, we haven't seen him play, but but by all accounts, we've heard and we've seen good things. So uh, I think when you look at him, his body is ready. You know, he's six foot seven and he's built. And, you know, talking with Coach Red Autry at, at Media Day, he said, just kind of comparing his game to O'Shea Brissett's, he said, you know, O'Shea was becoming a scorer at Syracuse. He did a lot of other things well, but he was becoming a scorer. Whereas Quincy's always been asked to score. So he has that in his game right now. And he's going to be able to rebound the ball pretty well, I think, from the zone. Um, he's certainly built. He's got a he's got a strong body to him. Um, he's good going to the rim. He can finish. He's good around the rim. He's good from the mid range. Uh, shot's still a work in progress, but he did knock down a few threes in the orange versus white scrimmage. So um, he's going to have to do that to keep defenses honest. And just going back to you know the recruiting thing, well, he played in Canada, so a lot of the, a lot of the times these these guys aren't really heavily scouted. Um, you know, everybody wants to talk about the ESPN or 24-7 top 100, but you know, they, they don't see everybody. And the, the rankings, as we know, are very subjective. And, you know, when you look at a kid like Quincy, he's playing in Thetford Mines, Quebec. Well, uh, where's Thetford Mines? You know, nobody knows where that is. So, yeah, I, I think it is a little bit overblown right now. We, we haven't seen him play in a college game. We haven't seen him play. You know, he's only played four games in Italy and an exhibition game against subpar competition. But certainly, you know, he definitely has the body for it. He definitely has the skill set. And how he plays in the ACC is going to determine if he is a, you know, a first or a second round pick as early as this year. Yeah, I guess, I, you know, it, it's kind of a catch-22 that Syracuse fans, uh, you know, always kind of go through. Um, first round picks, potentially, they get more first round picks, but also makes it hard to really uh, build a consistent team. I don't necessarily think that's something that's unique to Syracuse, however. Um, it's just something that I feel like the fan base overall, and I'm not blasting the fan base, I'm just saying, I think our fan base in particular is very kind of sensitive to this, that everyone gets very nutty about not being able to build, you know, a team of four-year players that doesn't really, that reality doesn't exist anymore. Um, and, and I think it's something that we're going to have to adapt to, but you know what, I, I do think that being able to go into Canada, having a history of churning out, you know, Canadian NBA talent and, and being able to go in there and, and consistently getting quality guys and guys you can turn into NBA players, I, I think only helps us in the long run. Um, Dan, who's your favorite forward? <laughs> Um, of this group for, for basketball or non-basketball related reasons, feel free to, to pick either. <laughs> uh, basketball reasons. I'm, I'm super easy to touch on it, but I'm super excited for Gary. A. Um, I feel like he's like the first guy who just, when you just look at him without seeing a play screams NBA guy since like Chris McCullough. And obviously McCullough's tenure didn't exactly work out here. Not for any fault of his own. He just got hurt. And then, you know, he had the first round, Get a first round draft status, we he bounced. But um, like you see him on the court, and and you just like identify him as like an NBA guy right away. So we'll see if that's one year, two years out. Um, that'll depend on how he does this year. But uh, you can really just identify the talent there, and then just like size wise, um, if he gets that jumper going, I, I could easily I I agree with the pick for him being the second leading scorer. Um, assuming he kind of has that diversity of his uh in his arsenal, we'll find out soon. Um. For non-basketball reasons, I mean, I think I've been indoctrinated into the uh, the uh, Bob Braswell camp 
which I know uh, James is so fond of. Um, and and looking at the numbers from the scrimmage, like it's hard not to be excited about what he can bring to the court. Um, but he has 17 points in just like 22 minutes. He had three blocks. That's just a rare skill set where you can combine a guy who can, you know, hit three or four threes in a game and then also buck three or four shots in a game. Um, I think the last guy we really had that could do that uh, was probably James Sutherland, um, who was probably a little more bouncy than Braswell. But uh, time will tell on how much of a factor he plays on the court this year. But I, I'm always just kind of enamored with a player who can give you that, that legit, like, three and interior D combination, which is so rare. Yeah, I, I think, uh, James, I'll let you get the final word on uh, Big Bobby Braz. Big bad Bobby Braz. That might be the former nickname at this point because everybody's calling him Earl. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I talked with him. At, I talked with him at Mellow, and uh, you know, he's saying he's he's very unaware that he's a fan favorite. You know, he really is like very very humble, and uh, you know, this this unassuming character. He's he's a great guy, but uh, you know, he he divulged that you know Elijah Hughes is calling him Earl, and then now all of his teammates are calling him Earl. So so now it's Earl Braswell. I'll, it, I'll, I'll uh, take it. You know, like, I, <laughs> go for it, Dan. If we don't get a, a track by track uh, Bob Braswell themed uh, like Earl Sweatshirt album uh, from you, I, I'll be very disappointed. Yeah, I do feel like that's kind of like something I need to make happen. There are um, only so many Earls. Well, uh, like my my name is Earl. We got to get the my name is Earl memes going. That's what it is. Uh, that's the other obvious one. I, I think there's just we we can there can be more than one Earl post. Like, I think maybe one a week, maybe one a day. I, I, I think I can make at least some of those things happen. I, I feel like, I feel like, you know what, that this football team is, 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 is encouraging me to, to expand my horizons and, 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 and try some different things and, and, and not hinge my, my happiness on how well the football team does, which is what I did every other season besides last year. Um, and it served me well. So, yeah. I think we're just going to start. It's, we're just going to be a meme blog now, which is going to delight a certain um, portion of the fan base. Hey, and every good team needs a guy who can come in, scrap the plate after a ten point, fifteen point victory. You know, three minutes left, everything's going well. You let Bobby Braswell go in there and eat ten to fifteen points in the garbage time. Because that's they that's can, what this team's going to be, right? If he's a six foot eight Mookie Jones, like I'll be a little disappointed, but also there's definitely <laughs> a good side. I, I think Bob um, well, is a little bit better than Mookie Jones, but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting though. Like on a serious note, I don't know. A lot of it's going to depend, I think, on whether Marek's going to play the five or not, based on his playing time. And you know, we did hear Beheim say in Italy that Marek was only going to play forward, but he walked that back immediately. Uh. And said Marek's going to play a little bit, or he can play a little bit of five. So if that's the case, I think it does open it up for Braswell a little bit. And if he played the way that he did in the exhibition game, how do you leave a guy like that on the bench that can come in and score 17 points on? What did he take? Eight shots? I mean, that's that's ridiculous right there. I don't know how you keep that on the bench. Yeah, in all, in all seriousness, too, he, he doesn't bring the passing chops that Marek does. But like I said before, with the aggressiveness, if Marek's only going to score three to five points a game and this guy's going to come in and take three to four three-point attempts the way he did in the scrimmage there, that can get you up to 10 points in a hurry. The three, the three ball is going to be so crucial with this team because it just – increases their potential for scoring so much if they're taking most of their shots from the three-point line. They were taking more threes than twos in Italy, which is just a drastic transformation from what we've seen in recent years. And there's obviously a big variance there with that. 
But if you're good at it and you have the personnel to do it like they do, that just changes the whole game for a team. Yeah, and same same with last night. Syracuse took 55 shots in the game. 32 of them were from three, and they made 15. So I, I think this is going to be a team that is sort of in the make of the 2015-16 team where they had to take a lot of shots to win games. I think that's going to be a similar look for this year's squad. They were 53% from three in that first half last night. I mean, open or not, that is that is something. That's fun. I, I know I did the uh... – I know after we knew who was going to be on this year's team, I know I did the, uh, the you know, old Warriors logo with Bayheim glasses on, um, mock-up as a joke. But it does seem like we're actually trending in that direction. Um, since the old Warriors are now dead, um, per, per recent results on, on the court, much, and, and I'm, I'm super thrilled about those, uh, as, as, as the, the resident Warriors hater um, on, on the site. I think it's it's only fair that that Syracuse, um, you know, takes up that mantle um, because we can blame the Warriors for why the Syracuse Nationals stopped existing. Because uh, obviously the Warriors left Philadelphia. Philadelphia needed a team. And then Syracuse had to head there. So it's only fair now that we steal the Warriors mantle and become the preeminent um, three-point shooting team in the country. And boy, do we deserve it after what we've watched the last few years on offense. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll take anything at this point. I can't wait to have like some awesome offensive games where we just bomb teams out, and then the first game where we shoot like twenty nine percent and lose by twenty to a really good team, and people will be complaining about taking too many threes. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jim like actively just tells everybody shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, that's gonna, it's it's gonna be the best press conference ever. <laughs> I'll be talking about anyway, the people uh, on the blog saying he should be fired. That's that's what'll happen. <laughs> The blogs never meaning the blogs, but uh, in any case, uh, moving us along a little bit, um, James, I'll start with you. Where you don't have to say a record yet. Uh, where do you see this team finishing in the ACC this year? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, when you when you look at the conference as a whole, I think everybody agrees on sort of the top four, where it's you know Louisville, Duke, UNC, and Virginia. But the conference lost a lot, and I think there's more questions for those team at the top than there were a year ago. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of underclassmen that, that left for the NBA, NBA draft and, um, you know, for the pro ranks. So I think the conference is going to be down as a whole. But when you look at the middle, probably like the five through the 10 spots, I think Syracuse could finish anywhere from as high as fifth to as low as 10. Um, you know, NC State is going to be good. They've got a lot of guys back. Florida State will be in the mix. Uh, Notre Dame's going to be a little bit better than they were last year, of course. Uh, Pittsburgh's improving. I think Miami's in that that conversation as well, and then so is Syracuse. And I, I think a lot of it's going to come down to you know just how well the team can shoot. Obviously, as, as Dan mentioned, there's, there's going to be nights where the team doesn't shoot the ball well, and um, I think it will be a team that's more reliant on the three. Uh, but you know, I, I think Syracuse could finish from anywhere as high as fifth in the league to as low as tenth. And you know, when you're in that mix, of course, that means you, you're going to be a little bit on the bubble, and it's going to be a little bit of sweating it out maybe on Selection Sunday again. But I think this is a team that, you know, given the schedule, um, non-conference, certainly not as competitive as it was last year. I think it's a good non-conference schedule, not not a great one. And, you know, when you look at the teams that are in the ACC, well, you get a favorable home slate. So you don't have to go to North Carolina. Uh, You get Duke and North Carolina both coming to the Dome for Saturday games. And the only really tough opponent um, of the top four that you have to play is Virginia twice. 
So I think it's a team that can that can get to 20 wins and that can get into the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, probably not looking at a top seed this year, but you know, certainly within the seven to ten range, uh, I think that's feasible for this team. No, I, I think that that's something reasonable. And so we're going to get into um, as, as we kind of wrap up the podcast um, in a bit, where we'll go into projections and talk about uh, whether these teams make the tournament or not. Um, Bobby, do you agree with James? Do you feel like this is some this is a team that that could finish anywhere from five to ten? Do you see them at more at the higher end of that band, the lower end, even lower somehow? I'm still entering this season with a ton of optimism until I get shot down in the scenario Dan talked about there. And I, I base their ACC optimism off the fact that the whole conference lost quite a bit from Duke to Florida State, uh, NC State even losing a little bit, and Virginia Tech lost everything and more, it feels like. So I look at who the front men are coming back for a lot of these teams, and I trust Elijah Hughes as the front man of this team. I just think he's you know basketball-oriented. I think he's going to be a killer from the three-point line, all of that. And I think that just rises your capability as a team. I mean, we even saw him hitting that Tyus battle. He would put your head down, pull up from the elbow shot last night. And he just has me so excited for them this season. You know, Diakite comes back for Virginia. That's a big one for them. So they're going to be staying up toward the top of the conference. If you get a Cole Anthony like UNC did, you're slated to win the conference championship. I love their chances. And Duke returned a lot of the, you know, in the mix guys that Syracuse did as well. Jordan Nawara for Louisville. So those teams definitely established themselves at the top. But I think Hughes gives this team potential with their schedule. Like James talked about, no NC trip. A lot of the bigger games are at the Carrier Dome. All those things make me so optimistic about this year. And there's certainly some gaps on this team. We'll see how they perform defensively with all the new personnel they have. And Carrie's a big one, too, that's going to have to step it up for them. Usually you try to stick with what you know about Syracuse because not too much changes around here. (laughs) So in that sense, I'd squarely place them at the middle of the conference. But with what a lot of the other teams lost, too, I think they could, you know, edge up maybe toward like seven or six in the conference. All right. I like the optimism. Dan, how about yourself? Where are you? Uh, where are you seeing Syracuse falling here? Yeah, no, I think it's it, you guys are pretty uh, spot on. It would be surprising for Syracuse to break into that top four, um, unless something happens with like Hughes just going off and being a like first team All ACC player, which is possible. But um, I think that's like a very optimistic look. So I think in that five to ten range, probably somewhere between like six and eight, if I had to guess. Like just looking through the schedule. Um, obviously it's a little harder to project year to year now with the 19th game, uh, especially ours being, uh, well, I'm not exactly sure if the Virginia game is the 19th game, but, um, easiest to look at this first, but, uh, that, you know, assuming we're in like the, the nine to 11 ACC wins, which I think is pretty feasible. Like that usually is good for anywhere from like sixth to ninth, depending on the year. So, um, yeah, I think it's been, it's basically where we've been these last two, these last couple NCAA tournament runs, like in the mix, um, depending on your view of the team, either like a little better or a little worse than people thought. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, if, if the depth is, is really a thing and we get some of those, uh, you know, dangerous players off the bench really contributing, maybe maybe run for the fifth spot wouldn't be that crazy. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also entering the year with, with some optimism. I don't know if it's like feeding off of the pessimism with the football team or, or if it's just like natural. But um, I think this is a really interesting bunch. And uh, there's definitely like, I don't know if we're better or worse than these last couple teams, but there's definitely, I think, more 
um, I think there's a higher ceiling based on some of the things we have. Yeah, I buy that. Uh, just running down my own predictions, I guess. Uh, I think this is a team that might be quote unquote worse than last year's um, on paper, but potentially better uh, from a ceiling perspective and from a wins perspective. I think uh, this team is going to be able to shoot. They might not be able to play defense at the same level, however. Uh, so it's going to be interesting which of those two narratives takes over. I think that if you see, you know, Elijah Hughes take a, you know, a full step leap, maybe you see Buddy Beheim take even a half step leap. Um, and then like, if we can get, you know, 14, 15 points a game out of, out of Gary a, I, I think that that's a team that absolutely looking at this schedule um, finds itself somewhere around the sixth spot. I mean, you look at who we play, like the home and home matchups, they're almost entirely other than Virginia. It's all a, a, against like the mid to bottom part of the conference. You got home and homes against Virginia tech. Um, you've got BC, you've got Pitt, Georgia tech. Like the, 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 there's a lot of potential here for this team to just rack up wins against the bottom part of the conference. And maybe that doesn't help straight the schedule, especially with a non-conference slate that doesn't necessarily wow anybody um, aside from perhaps the, uh, the visit to Georgetown. But I, I see this, I see this squad, you know, from wins and losses perspective, at least being able to, to, to overperform. And I could see them finishing sixth. Um, and pissing a lot of people off in the process um, again, especially when you look at this uh, this collection of wins. I think they're going to have to, um, even if they do finish sixth. I think there's still going to be a little bit of a demand on them to grab, you know, a top win somewhere. So whether that's you know an NC State or Florida State, um, or if it has to be one of the you know the big fish like UNC or Duke or UVA, um, I think there's got to be some sort of marquee win in there because this team could could pretty much win the game they're supposed to and lose the game they're supposed to and still win 21, I think, maybe even 22 um, in the regular season. So I think it's going to maybe take a little bit more than it has in years past um, just because of how the schedule construction is a little bit different. That's why I love playing Virginia at home to start the year too because they have so many moving parts coming into place. I love their head coach, as I said on the video we did at the Dome that night, which isn't going to get me a lot of love from the Syracuse fans. But you know, you want to run into an ACC team that early in the year before they figure out who they are because as much as Syracuse is brand new this year, if we look at their defense, and it's important when we talk about you know coherency year to year, the guys who are coming back on the defense. I mean, Hughes has been playing in the zone for three years now. Dolajai has been there for quite a few years now. Sadibe has been practicing. You know, even though he hasn't been out there, he knows what to do in that sense. Carey was there last year. Like all all these guys, for the most part, know what they're doing in the zone. There's no like complete newcomer besides Garrier. So. In that sense, I think they have a lot more experience, and Beheim touched on this at Media Day too, than people want to give them credit for. Sure, they lost Chukwu, they lost Battle, they lost Brissett. That's what everyone's going to talk about, like James said. But you know, deep on this team, some of their recruiting victories that they've had low-key over the last few years are going to play a big role in this team. And I don't know a lot of the depth on the other teams in the conference. In that similar sense, you know, if you're looking from far away, you can kind of only see like the top three guys leaving and overreact like that. But from a strictly Syracuse perspective, I think there is some low key depth on this team that could, you know, elevate their status, especially on the. De- yeah, no, no doubt, Bob. And, and I'll step into I'll, I'll be on brand and bring it back to the schedule a little bit because that's what we like to do at noons. But, you know, when you look at the non-conference schedule, too, th- there's not a lot of big names on the schedule, but that doesn't mean it's a bad one. Um, you know, just to bring up a couple of games and the way it breaks down in the net, you know, you have the preseason NIT at Barclays. So you're going to have Oklahoma State and you're going to have either Ole Miss or Penn State. 
So if, if any of those guys are top 50 in the net, that's a quadrant one team right there. And then you go on the road to Georgetown. Well, Georgetown was 83 in the net last year, and they're going to be a little bit better this year. So as long as they're in the top 75, that's another quadrant one game. Um, and, you know, you, you play Colgate uh, at the Dome. Um, who, who went to the NCAA tournament last year, and they gave they gave Tennessee a run for their money. And then you have Iowa at home as well. So it's not that it's a bad schedule, and it's not that you're not going to have a quality opponent, and we know how it breaks down in the net. There's, a, there's an opportunity there for some, some quadrant one and some quadrant two games right there. I mean, you have to take care of business too. And we've seen them drop some bad games at home these last few years, save themselves with some big victories on the road. That's what the schedule doesn't give them a chance to do is knock off a huge team on the road in non-conference, um, play some massive, you know, there's a Virginia game on the road in non-conference, um, you know, Florida State on the road, Louisville on the road, but there aren't a ton of marquee opportunities for them to pick up the road win. So that's where the, you know, weaker non-conference that we've seen in recent years could hurt them. No, and, and we and shall I, see. I, Go I for it, James. No, yeah, and, and I agree to Bobby's point, but but I think when you're you're designing the schedule, and, you know, maybe this is a different point, but I think when you're designing the schedule, this is kind of what you want it to look like. You know, you, you don't want a bunch of world beaters on your schedule. And a, and a chance to, to rack up some early losses. Of course, that goes the other way if you you have a little bit of a schedule that's a little bit easier and you lose those games. But I don't think you want to go the other way either and, and schedule a bunch of world beaters and then rack up some losses in the non-conference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, the big difference this year um, and something I've covered on the site was that just the, the these neutral site, like, quote-unquote, tournaments that we've done, uh, especially the ones centered in New York, have given us some semblance of a, like, bigger quote unquote opponent um, in recent seasons. And this year we didn't necessarily get that um, with, you know, Penn state, Oklahoma state and Ole Miss, like we could end up with, you know, two or three NCAA tournament teams in that group, but there isn't like the marquee name necessarily in there um, without one of them drastically like overperforming expectations. So I think that's really like, you know, you, you can put some question marks around things because Kip Wellman's not there anymore. Um, and Kip was such a you know huge part of putting together this schedule um, that that's helped us. You get to the tournament in recent years, but I, I think that, you know, if you're, if you're looking at any culprit quote unquote here on why the schedule looks a little bit different, I, I think the big thing is just, you know, that uh, the, the MSG event, not necessarily, oh, sorry, the Barclays event, uh, not necessarily, you know, being the, the quality of names like SU is very much the anchor um, of that event with, with very little else to kind of bank on. Yeah, yeah, and the two other big factors this year, and the reason I give them a little leeway there is switching to the 20-game schedule is big, a big difference this year, and that should help them in some sense if the ACC is anywhere in line with where it's been. And the other big one is that you are with a young team this year, and you probably want to give them a chance to ease in a little bit. Right. By that. Um, so just quick uh we don't have to go game by game i think let's just give like a, a roundabout like win loss um and then kind of where the season wraps up in the ncaa tournament or potentially not um dan why don't we start with you uh a win loss you can you can give like a, a range of wins if you want um for the regular season and then kind of where this season wraps up yeah going through before um i think we're gonna be pretty good with this like not crazy non-conference schedule um i think we're gonna wrap up uh, 21 and I think it's 21 and 10, uh, and 10 and 9 on the ACC. Um, some you know a couple of decent wins, but I think we'll we'll probably do a lot better at the dome than on the road. 
Uh, and then I'll say with that will be somewhere in like the seven, eight seed range. And I have us going out in the second round. All right, James, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm right on the same page there. It's my, you know, my take's not going to differ too much different than Dan's, but yeah, I think it's a team that, you know, can win 20 to 22 games and is going to be right in the mix for an NCAA tournament seed. And, um, you know, it could probably win a game, maybe two in the ACC tournament, which is going back to Greensboro this year, by the way. And yeah, I think they'll sneak into the tournament and they're, they're good for a first round win and then out in the round of 32. I like their ability to get hot to start this year. And I talked about this on our basketball pod too. You say you lose to Virginia, you lose one of those tournament games. You're still only exiting non-conference with two losses there. And then right out of the gate, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, a road at Virginia, BC. You know, there's six games in a row to start the conference slate and they should win four of those. So they're going to get through February with three, four losses if they play to their potential. Now this team always has the potential to lose a terrible one. You know, if they lost to BC at home or something like that, that would just be very in line or even Notre Dame at home to start that conference slate. I don't think any of us would be stunned, but if we're just looking at these games on paper, the schedule is very well structured for them to have a strong enough start to this year where they give themselves enough confidence and success to win a big one in February. And that's all they really need in February, I think, is one of those Duke, UNC, uh, and uh, one of the road ones there, Florida, Pittsburgh, Louisville, to get through the tournament. Yeah, I think this team could really start hot, like you said, Bobby. I think you could be looking at something like, you know, even like a 16-4, 17-4 start, um, even for like a not-that-great team. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then I'm, and I'm then really, the, I'm really <laughs> setting myself up. To, I'm, I'm setting myself up to get shot out of the sky with all this optimism. Nah, I, I feel you, man. No, I, I think to be honest, it, it's this, the schedule is set up that if SU can just win the games it's supposed to um, early on, um, then it has some wiggle room at the end. I think, like you said, if, if they can just pull one big win kind of in that late stretch, um, th- then this is kind of, you know, a team that can coast its way into the tournament. Um, might not be any higher than like a seven seed necessarily, but a team that can potentially coast its way into the tournament um, and look reasonably good doing so. I think they probably go something like 22 and nine, maybe 21 and 10, um, 12 wins or so in the ACC. Um, but we'll see. I, 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 I think I agree with everybody else that, you know, you probably win a game in the first round. And then uh, depending on where you're seated, you probably get knocked out by a much better squad um, in the second round. I think, you know, this is a team that, that could really benefit from just getting to the NCAAs um, and, and learning from that experience a little bit and then p- potentially being able to cash in on that um, in 2020 to 2021. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's, that's all I've got on this team. Um, I'll actually, James, I'll give you uh, kind of the final word here uh, before we depart from our season preview episode. Yeah, uh, you know, just keep it locked with us. I think if you've been a reader of Noons for a while, I think I'm really you know, I speak for everybody on staff when I say I'm really excited about the year, not not just for Syracuse basketball, but for us as well. Um, you know, you've still got me and, and of course, Bobby. So we'll, we'll look familiar. And then, you know, we've got a young guy coming on, Austin Lamb, who's a real up and comer. And, you know, we still have Kevin and, of course, John and Dan on the site. So, you know, keep it locked with us. It should be a good season. I know between Bobby and I, we've got some features coming out um, to start a game week. Um, we'll tease there. Bob, Bobby spoke with Elijah. And I spoke with Jalen a little bit, spoke with both of his parents. So so we'll have some good stuff coming out there. And 
Um, as, as for the team itself, you know, I think it'll be an interesting year. Um, as, as you mentioned, you know, maybe you go out in the round of 32, but you, you could bring everybody back the following year. So it could be a nice roster to work with over the next uh, two, two to three seasons. And just to be patient uh, with the team this year, you know, I think it's, it's a team that, you know, as we all stated, could get to 20, 25 wins maybe at the most, but um, it's going to be a young team. And, and I think it'll be an, an exciting roster to build with over the next couple of years. Agreed. Agreed. That's a good place to end it here. Um, and I'm looking forward to those features from, uh, from Bobby and James. We'll have a lot of other preview stuff uh, going up this week and next um, as the season's about to get started. Um, but everyone be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, uh, anywhere else you might listen to podcasts and go orange.